I think the reality is like that, right? Um, reality is that, you know, the, the chicken egg problem in a sense where, you know, you want to get investors, you want to have results. And you, if you don't have money, you can't get results. And if you can't get results, you cannot get money. So that's sort of things that we always into. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. I'm your host, Castle Lim. In this podcast, I sit down with Southeast Asia's leaders, entrepreneurs, and content creators in the FMB space. This is where you will learn about their trade secrets, or maybe you'll just find them as your next door neighbor. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodies who want to connect to the world through food, they curate the best spots to eat and drink in Malaysia, Bangkok, and Singapore. Check them out on Instagram for more. From humble beginnings to studying an online platform that raised 1.2 million ringgit, my guest today helps home cooks, creators, and entrepreneurs realize their visions by providing a simple, comprehensive platform enabling small businesses to grow, while the mom and pops focus on what matters most, the food. Yonglin believes in riding the wave of digitalization by embracing the power of modern technology regardless of technological experience. These beliefs have become the core drivers of Crave. I would say that, you know, we came from a, 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 a very typical family, right? You know, you know, we believe in a small little flat. Um, I think growing up childhood, it was, you know, it was quite, um, quite difficult, like financially, like, you know, we, we, we went to, um, you know, like, you know, you go to Mid Valley, I mean, like 20 years back, Mid Valley was pretty new, right? It was a high back then. So I think, you know, like go to Mid Valley, you know, back then, you know, it was quite tough to even like, you know, order thing that is, you know, beyond like 15 bucks or, or, or things like, like that. So it was like quite challenging. So, you know, we always like try to, you know, control a certain budget. So I think that was actually, you know, my childhood, uh, one part of my childhood, but you know, the other part was actually quite grateful that, um, you know, my mom was, you know, my mom has always been very encouraging and uh, sort of like trained like my, my personality as well. So like, you know, so I, I'm a very, naughty kid, you know, when I was a kid, right? So I was, you know, I was, you know, like when you were in school, um, when you do like stupid things, right? And then your teacher would sort of summon your parents to come over and have a chat. And that happens almost on a weekly basis for me in primary school. <laughs> so like until one point, my mom would be like, you know, my mom, would be, you know, like was telling my, my teacher, hey, you know what? Um, you know, feel free to discipline my kid. You know, I'm not going to, you know, interfere anything. I'm not going to like sue the, the school for like, you know, uh, 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 hitting my kid, you know, <laughs> and that sort of stuff, right? And then you know, I was forced to actually, I was actually educated in a way where, um, you know, I'm supposed to handle my own situation. You know, like when I have a problem with the teachers that, like, hey, my mom like, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you what, what, what you should do, but you're the one who's supposed to go and talk to your teacher, not me. And that's also, so I sort of being brought up in that, that kind of environment. And I, and I think that was actually very helpful, you know, in terms of like shaping my personality uh, in, the, in the long run. Just like the market you cater to, the idea for Crave actually began from home, uh, more specifically in a conversation with your mother. Can you tell us more about that? Right, right. So I actually recall, you know, it was a Sunday, I think, um, you know, a couple of years back, uh, it was Sunday. So I was still having a job right back then. I mean, I'm still having a job in Cray, So, but that was, and I was, I was in another company. So I think it was Sunday morning. So, you know, as usual, I was just sitting around on my dining table in my, in my house. So, you know, I was talk, talking to my mom casually and, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about, you know, your mom, but my mom is being a very typical Asian mom. So I was like, Hey, you know, like, well, I made this really nice, uh, pumpkin jam and and you know given to neighbors and given to Reddit and they love it so much. Hey, why don't you try one and try like she wanted to like sort of acknowledge her effort into making that nice jam. 
So I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Um, you know, having been working in a startup for a couple of years, um, a couple, um, you know, I sort of understand a bit of what we call product market fit, right? So, you know, people like the product itself. So they're the people who is interested to buy. It. So it's like, you know, since, since all these guys actually, you know, have high uh, reviews about this product itself, I was like, hey, maybe there's a, some form of product market fit there. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, why don't you actually, you know, sell, sell it to somebody? And, um, and, you know, since we don't come from a very wealthy family, I thought, I thought like, so I thought like maybe we could have a better Chinese New Year because I think that was actually about two weeks prior to, two or three weeks prior to Chinese New Year for that year itself. I was like, you know, maybe, maybe you can sell some of this stuff and then we have a better Chinese New Year. So, you know, unfortunately she told me that, hey, you know, it's not really something that is as straightforward as you, you, you think. And, you know, being young and being naive that time. So I was like, hey, I don't believe you, you know, let me just try to sell. So, you know, long story short, I didn't, I didn't make it. Um, so I think that was when I discovered, you know, how difficult it is, you know, for a, um, you know, stay-at-home mom like my mom um, to actually make it work for herself, right? Even though she has a skill set, right? She's supposed to be able to monetize her skill set, but she can't because there's a lot of obstacles in between. Um, so, and this, that's also why I, this is also how I discover, you know, moving on from it, I discovered that, hey, this is not a problem that is unique to my mom, right? And, and there are a lot of people out there who are actually facing the same kind of issue as well. So that's where I thought, hey, maybe this is something that I really want to work on and really want to solve it as well. When were you first exposed to the idea of entrepreneurship? Like you said, you were working in startups um, prior to starting mm -hmm. Crave. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, long, um, you know, like a short story, um, it's, it was when I was in, in university, I think that was actually, what, 2018 or like 2019 or 2020, I, I don't remember, like a couple of years back, um, maybe like seven years back or six years back. Um, so, but that was, you know, when my when I was in my university. So, you know, I did a couple of, I did a lot of things in my university, right? So um, towards my last two years of my university life, I decided to, you know, try different things. You know, I think a lot of people, even though, um, you know, I've heard a lot of friends, you know, my, my, my classmate um, on the, like during the final SAM, they will be like, hey, shit, you know, um, the, the SAM is over finished and, you know, our degree is, you know, we're almost graduating and, you know, what should we do in our life, right? That's, 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 that's sort of, it's a very common conversation, you know, within financial students. I'm very fortunate to be able to sort of know what I wanted to do when I was about to graduate. Uh, simply because I spent two years uh, prior to that to really experience different aspects of the industry. Um, you know, I was running events. I've, you know, run over 100 events during my UC life. Um, I was also running like, uh, you know, I'm not sure whether you heard of this, this organization called TED Talk, uh, TEDxKL. So I was actually organizing TEDx, uh, you know, as well. So we was a 5,000 people event. It was pretty big. You know, we, we even rented as like, like a stadium for the entire, for the, all the audience. Um, so I've also in NGO before, you know, um, in I was representing Malaysia in one of the um, UN conference. Um, not sure whether you heard of this thing called the SDG goal. So I was part of the people who, before SDG goal was born, we were, were the one who was drafting the memorandums, right? So uh, I was in Bali, you know, Indonesia. So, you know, it was pretty high panel in a sense where I was actually sitting, you know, when you walk into the hall, right? You see like tables and in the middle of tables, you have flex Malaysia, flex Thailand, flex Indonesia, flex very high level kind of thing. You know, like people beside me, like Southeast Asia director of this international NGO, like uh, deputy uh, ministers of Malaysia. We actually had a Malaysian minister there as well. So it was like, I was like, no, nobody did that. But anyways, that was my experience, right? So so I didn't actually like it so much because um, I, that, that was when I, you know, I read UN report. Um, the United Nations report, I realized that, you know, 90% of funds is being used on what we call administration costs back then. 
Um, and I, I was, that was where I realized, hey, you know, this is how I got my flight paid, you know, fly over. That's how I, how we managed to book the whole of Nusa Dua, you know, all the five-star hotels with prior pictures, uh, you know, where we are eating five-star hotel food, talking about what's going to happen in the world, right? You know, I really wanted to drive in time. I want to be on, the, on a grass road. And um, that was actually when I did not actually, you know, fancy too much about, you know, being at a very high level. Um, you know, after that, I, you know, I was also experiencing in things like uh, corporate training because I really like to talk, um, share my knowledge. And um, I wasn't sure what, what it was like. Um, you know, I was, you know, I picked face. So I went to a speaker in one of the conferences. I said, hey, you know, Mr. Speaker, um, you know what? Can I volunteer my my time? You know, I'm going to be your free facilitator. Um, all I want is to bring me around into different places to, you know, train and like, you know, just experience what is it like. Um, so I went, I followed him, you know, like to Malacca and so on, right? Different companies, like, you know, to see what it's like to be a corporate trainer. Um, soon I discovered entrepreneurship, right? That was when I really liked about. So, you know, I have a whole lot of experience into knowing what I did not like. You know, two years later, I discovered, hey, I really like about entrepreneurship. So I think what I really liked about was actually the satisfaction. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not about the money itself, but um, it's more towards satisfaction, right? So for example, if I, you know, if my company created a cup, right? Like a mug, and uh, you know, I saw that Castle, you are using the mug to make coffee in the morning. And I, I somehow felt very uh, empowered in a sense where um, I feel like it's, you know, I somehow through my creation contributed a part to your morning happiness. And that is sort of satisfaction that you know you couldn't get elsewhere. And that's how you know I'm actually into entrepreneurship. So how did the conversation with your mom led to you and your partners actually um, seeing this gap in the market and actually taking action on it? Um, you know, it was, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? I, I, I tried a couple of times, didn't make it. Um, you know, I was always seeking an, an opportunity um, to, to really venture on my own. I want to do something that's impactful. But at the same time, I do not want to do, you know, I don't want to run business for running a business, right? That's not what I really want to do. So, you know, that was where, you know, I chanced upon, you know, this really amazing opportunity. And I think that it's also a, a problem that, that, that lies deeply in my heart because I personally experienced that problem on my own as well. So that was when, you know, I thought, hey, maybe, maybe I could just give it a try. And back then I didn't have a partner. Um, you know, I, I, I only came across my two of my co-founders like one or two years later. Um, they joined sort of midway, but although they're still the second or third person in the company. But yeah, so I started it that directly because I've always been looking out um, to see what can I really do. And, and that was what I wanted to do at that point of time. So from maintaining a social media presence to answering the same questions on a daily basis selling products online is really not as easy as it's, as it looks i read that you guys are making this 16 step process into a two step process but um how can crave help home cooks like you said the neighborhood uncle aunties uh, with the business side of things as they focus on what they do best right okay okay so uh, so like if for us to really understand this what we sort of had to understand you know what's the difficulty like you know when it comes to um you know doing business on social media so when you know a lot of people talk about digitization and so on right um but you know what what really is about digitization is it like you know you put on facebook it's considered digital or is it not right so one of the mis biggest misconceptions about it is actually not so when it comes to digitization you're supposed to be able to automate you know almost all the process and that's what the true digitalization is really all about so uh, but unfortunately, because there's so many different factors out there, um, you know, people aren't able to actually um, go digital fully, right? So like most people, we will just be starting on social media, say Facebook and Instagram and things like that. 
And you know, on a daily basis, let's just say you have like 10 customers, so let's say, like, let's say 10 customers, so they're gonna like PM you and you're gonna talk to them. And then you know, some and then you pro- probably need to like arrange delivery one by one. Um, you know, send them to them. So that, that's, that's like a whole 16 step process. So, you know, I've personally spoken to a lot of um, you know, like when it comes to local mom and pops. Um, you know, when they want to scale online, no, it's not hard to make like 500 ringgit or like 700 ringgit. But, you know, if you really want to make it like a real business to be able to like, you know, make a full, uh, full-time full income, like a, you know, sustainable income for the entire family, you know, if you're living in KL, you should probably expect, you know, anywhere between three to four K for the household income, at least to be able to survive, right? Um, that's not possible, right? Because if you wanted to go beyond a 500 ringgit range, you probably need to have, you know, um, if you're not automating stuff, you probably need to like hire people and so on, right? And that's a totally different ballgame for most of the local mind pub businesses to scale. So what we do is very simple. We try to actually minimize all the processes so that they can focus on what truly matters for, for them, which is making the product and you know marketing the product itself, right? And leave the a lot of manual operational work um, to what is to the system itself so that the system can actually save a lot, a lot of the time. Was it was it hard? Like looking back right now, it's been a few years, couple years. Um, mm-hmm. What was one of the biggest hurdle you faced? I would say, um, you know, was it hard? I, I think I, I think I think that was definitely hard, right? Um, for four years of my life, I mean, like Crave truly grown within the last, you know, one and a half year. Uh, we grew like you know, 20, 10, 20 times over the past one or two years. But you know, to go through that first three years without any sort of significant revenue was quite difficult, right? Um, so I think I think one one of the challenges that I, I faced was actually you know we are constantly running out of money. Uh, I think there were like three to three to four different moments where we are we are you know close to you know running out of business. Like if I don't get any sort of money uh, in the next three days time, you know we're probably going to be like closing door and that sort of stuff, right? Um, I think I think that was actually the challenge because you know when it, I think the reality is like that, right? Uh, reality is that you know. The, the chicken egg problem in a sense where, you know, you want to get investors, you want to have results. And you if you don't have money, you can't get results. And if you can't get results, you cannot get money. So that's sort of things that we're always into. Um, and, and unfortunately, we sort of like broke it out of that cycle already um, right now. But uh, I think that, that was that that was the very difficult moment, right, for the first couple of years. And I think just to sort of illustrate a bit more was, um, you know, I think... There was there was one time I was trying to buy tough fund and then I don't have money to buy. Um, and I happened to realize that I got money. Um, so you know, it's not because I don't have cash. Like you know, right now you have e-wallets, right? You don't have cash, right? So that was not the time where I have you have e-wallets, right? I didn't have the money to pay for my my you know economic rise. And you know, I look at my bank account. I had like one figure. And you know, like Malaysian bank like in ATM, you can't actually take out one figure, right? It's like the least you can take out is like ten bucks. So I was like, then you know, fortunately my car has some shillings, right? That, uh, some 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 coins that, that I used to pay pay off it. So that was actually how, um, and that was actually one example. I think the other example was that up until um, for the past, you know, two to three, uh, three to four years time, you know, we've been taking like five hundred ringgit to uh, a maximum of one point five k a month. Um, you know, up until this year, 2020, 2021 February, we were still taking about one point five k a month. Um, and I think that is the sort of like hurdle that you sort of need to go through. And I think that um, I sort of make that decision where um, this is something that I really want to do. You know, it's not about the money because I could have made a lot more money uh, being in any job, actually. <laughs> being in any job is going to pay me more than 500 ringgit per month or more than 1.5k a month. Um, but, you know, that was that was the choice. And I think, you know, um, I look at it and I believe that the idea is going to work and I see that we have progress. 
And you know, every single time when we've been through that situation, we thought, you know, we are one step closer. And if we don't die, we have a chance to make it work. If we die tomorrow, we have no chance. So, you know, try to make it work. That was Yonglin. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. When we come back, our guest tells us how he raised 1.2 million ringgit for his startup and his advice for our listeners. If you want to make money, entrepreneurship is not for you. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodie who wants to connect to the world through food, that's where you go. Find Penang Foodie, KL Foodie, Halal Foodie and Bangkok Foodie on Instagram. They curate the best spots to eat and drink in these cities. It's just like going back to what you say, um, the illustration that you give me, if I'm holding a cup that you make today, you feel so much satisfaction. And of course, um, going into going back to a corporate job, you're going to get paid so much more, but you chose this path uh, and to pay yourself that amount of money, um, this is your own decision. And despite those challenges, um, Crave has actually recently made headlines because you guys managed to raise 1.2 million ringgit. Can you walk us through that process of how you guys did that? Right. Okay. So I mean, initially we didn't want to raise one or two million. We wanted to raise like two hundred k. So um, you know, very very grateful that you know a lot of people are rallying behind us and you know they are supporting the kind of vision and mission that we see as well. So I guess I, I think if, if I was to just sort of like tweak the question a bit more, right, in terms of like what have you learned throughout the journey, I think one of the major factor was actually. Um, we are telling that story. And I think that's what Malaysians are lacking of, Malaysian entrepreneurs are lacking of. I think we fail to tell a story that can be, um, that can resonate with a lot of more, a lot more people. Like most, a lot, a lot of Malaysian entrepreneurs have great mission, great vision as well. But I think, you know, we are so shy and we're not like Americans, right? We are just, you know, we don't keep things on my own, you know, we, we so that we are don't, we, we are, don't seem as like arrogant and things like that, right? It's just, you know, within our upbringing. And so that's what I see a lot. And I think that is actually what's stopping us to get, you know, community to rally behind us. And I think when you have a great cause, right, you sort of need to tell it to people, tell it to the world, hey, you know what, this is a great cause. Um, you know, those who agree with this cause, you know, come together and let's make it to reality. Because I believe that any great cause wouldn't be able to become a reality um, with just one person. You need a bunch of people around you to make it reality. And I think that was actually one of the factors that I think leads to our somehow success to us fundraising because we are telling the story uh, and I, I think we want, I, I, you know, to work, you know, we had a presentation seven for, for the 45 for minutes um, to the investors, to the potential investors. And um, I always end up with, with, with one line. So I was like, hey, you know what? Um, those numbers that I show you guys, if, if it looks amazing, cool, awesome. But if you are really investing, I hope that you are not investing because of the numbers that you are seeing, uh, but also because you truly believe in the kind of future that we are building. And I think that is, that is what you truly wanted to invest in. Um, so because... Beautiful numbers, you can get it anywhere in the world. But if you really need want to actually, you know, invest in something that you truly believe in, and that was also one of the, you know, sort of disclaimer that I gave to the investor uh, throughout the end of, uh, during the end of the presentation. And um, I think that was actually one of my key take takeaways because um, since then, I think we have got a lot more people understand what, what what we do. They do not see us as you know just a place to buy some food, but um, you know, a place where it's beyond food, uh, just to speak. The sellers on your platform, they range from single parents, housewives to retirees. Um, how do you think Crave has impacted their lives so far? So I think we, we, we could have done so much more. Um, you know, I think we are sort of like 0.001% there. Um, but I think, I think we, we, we definitely could have done so much more, which, which I'm like totally aware of, right? Because every day you, you see that so many people lost their job and so many people are not 
you know, not within our reach yet, right? Because simply because we are still a relatively small company, like we can't reach out to like the whole of Malaysia. We are not like the likes of Lazada and Shopee where you can run, you know, we can, like recently you have seen like Jackie Chan, you know, uh, on, on Shopee, you know, like literally everyone thought about that. But I think we do not have that capability at this point in time to reach out to every single one in Malaysia. And I think there are a lot of people who do not know about uh, Crave yet. So I, so I, I believe that, we could have done so much more, but uh, I think in terms of what we have done so far, you know, we have we have got more than a thousand sellers with with us. Um, you know, some of them are making decent amount. Uh, you know, like for example, one of these, uh, you know, like dumpling, you know, like Chinese dumpling, you know, the 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 rice dumpling. Uh, you know, we we actually helped her to sell. Uh, she managed to sell like five thousand pieces in ten days time. Um, so you know, that's also some of the examples that we we could have give. Um, but I think there was actually some minority. I think we could have done a lot more. Um, and, and you know what that that's what I'm trying to do right now, you know, trying to make Malay, uh, make Crave something that a lot of people know. At least, you know, if you're not using, you know that you have an option that Crave is here to actually help you to bring your business online. And I think when the times comes, uh, people could think about Crave is that hey, you know, you actually have the power of controlling um your destiny, or maybe you have the power of actually making your business work in your hand. Um, at least they are sort of aware of you know, crazy that actually here. That's what we are trying to build on right now. There are sellers that are young and tech-savvy, but there are also the other portion where they might not be too tech-savvy. Um, how do you support this other portion, maybe the older generation, to even up the playing field on Crave? Right, right. I think I think, I think, think you, you actually made a really, really good point, right? Even out of playing field. I think that's what we're trying to do as well, actually. And I think what we're trying to do is really trying to level the playing field so that, you know, our local mind pubs, you know, those who are less tech-savvy, less... Uh, technology safety, you know, less business safety, uh, they are able to extend an equal opportunity to get this cover and to get um, sales, you know, against all these giant mega corporations out there like, you know, Tesco and so on and so forth, right? And that's what we're trying to, uh, you know, allow them to do so. So I guess um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a solution where uh, it's actually self-serving that they are able to, um, you know, within the next five to 10 minutes time, without knowing how to use a computer to be able to get, the fully automated store set up directly within the next time to 10 minutes time. And it's completely free for them. Um, you know, you just need to have a phone and sign up and, you know, there's no approval process, sign up directly. Um, and then you're able to set up a store and every single thing is handled for you once you're done within the next time to 10 minutes. You know, logistics is handled, um, delivery, um, de deliver, like customer service is handled as well. So all sort of that is being handled. So like literally so to put it in the perspective, right? If someone is running a business using what Crave has, they're tapping into the ecosystem that we have built, which allow them to send to entire Malaysia, regardless of their product, right? Um, if it's a frozen product, yes, you can. we can do that for you. If it's a normal career, like you're using DHL and things like that, it's, it's fine. If you want to use dispatch, like same day delivery or same hour delivery, that's fine. So we sort of cater to all sort of different, um, you know, food nature itself. Um, and then to put it into perspective, um, someone, somebody, instead of doing all this manual work, they can literally just, um, take order and wait at home. And, uh, you know, somebody would just show up on their doorstep and collect the orders and send to the customers directly. Uh, and, and all they do is just make product and wait at home. And that's what we uh, intend to allow them to do. To do. Um, many businesses have suffered uh, due to the pandemic, but for Crave, um, it's a digital platform. You guys are thriving. You are gaining your popularity, even though you said you are not as big as other platforms. Um, um, but this is due to the change in the new normal. People are staying at home and selling online. What do you think Crave's future will look like after the pandemic is over? Well, I think, you know, the sort of digitalization of businesses, it's inevitable, if you think about that. Um, you know, if you look into... 
Uh, if, you look, if you look at the Southeast Asia, you, look, you, you actually realize that a lot of people are actually going online, regardless of the pandemic, right? I think the pandemic is not a sole factor that um, e-commerce is thriving. It's probably pushing it a lot faster, uh, but it's not a sole factor, right? Because it's regardless of it, it's gonna gonna come. It just said it's gonna be five years later after today. And why why did I say five years later? Because recently I read a report. I think it's by IBM or like McKinsey. I forgot. But you know, um, the e-commerce, the pandemic itself has accelerated the e-commerce adoption process in Southeast Asia by five years ahead of initial schedule. What it means is very simple, right? The amount of people that will be buying and selling online in the next five five years, they are already doing so today. But if you think about that, regardless, it's gonna reach there five years later. Right, it's just that it's faster right now. Um, so that's that's what we are seeing, um, and I think that the trend is definitely here to stay. And if you look into it, right, I think digitalization and going online it's inevitable. Right, if you look into US, look into China, it's sort of inevitable. Um, in fact, China is already China is a really good predictor about what's going to happen in Southeast Asia context. You know, China is so much about five to ten years ahead of. Southeast Asia in so many aspects, right? In e-commerce, in payment, in cashless, and so on, right? Like back then, the whole China already is um, cashless. We do not even have uh, touch and go app yet. <laughs> so that was that was it. So like right now, uh, when China is already capitalizing on the rise of mom and pops by enabling them to go online, uh, and then we are also going to see this trend trickle down to Southeast Asia context in the next five to ten years time. Five years time, probably. Uh, and then we believe that we wanted to actually start today. And I think that is what we are seeing because um, if, if if it's not us, then who is going to do so, right? Because if you think about that, um, it's not like our local members do not want to go online, right? I think they all wanted to go, they all realized that how important, um, especially, you know, after the pandemic um, has made this realization even more apparent. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you think about that, if those uh, sellers who sort of lost their, their business uh, during the pandemic, if they had gone online prior to the pandemic, this wouldn't have happened to them. And I think this pandemic has, has become a, a, a wake-up call to a lot of people that, you know, go and like, you never know that tomorrow there's another, you know, COVID-20 going to come out, right? So um, so that was actually, I think um, it's going to stay. Uh, it's just that can we make it so much easier for those who are not very tech-savvy, not very e-commerce-savvy to really go online. And that, that's what our goal is all about. As Crave specializes in home cooking, do you anticipate um, future issues with food safety regulations as your platform grows bigger? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, like at the end of the day, um, you know, that's that that is actually our utmost um, priority, right? Um, eventually, as as we grow bigger, we're probably gonna be uh, regulating a, a lot more, and I think that um, that essentially is what Crave future lies. Because if you think about that, food hazard has always been there and will always always be there, right? And, you know, if you buy on, like, I think a lot of people even got, like, scammed on Facebook, you know, buying things, you know, pay for a cake, the cake never arrives, or, like, these people order, like, 10 cakes, but decided to pull out, and this seller make 10 cakes, but cannot sell it to anyone. So that's sort of things that happen all the time. And, you know, I think a couple of months back, I've, because, you know, durant season, you know, a lot of people are selling durants on Facebook, and it's the new page with 20 likes. Um, people got scammed money because they are buying, you know, Durant from, from people. So I think it's not only about food hazard, but you know, the whole security itself, whether or not it's a financial, financial scam or like food security, the whole thing is something that we really care a lot. And I think having Crave as an intermediary, uh, we are able to actually ensure and protect both sides, right? Seller and buyer, so that you know that anything happened, Crave will be here to, to help you, right? Someone's not gonna scam your money and someone's not gonna order your product and not pay money as well. So that's what Crave is all about, I think. Yeah, the living image of 
third time's the charm. This is your third attempt at starting a business. Um, is there any advice you can offer to our listeners on the podcast? Um, I would say, I would say, you know, like, um, so I think just sort of the backstory, I think, you know, now that if you have listened until now, you probably have realized that, uh, you know, entrepreneurship sometimes is not easy and it's not as glamorous as it looks on the surface, right? You know, I'm on a podcast, you might think that I'm fairly successful right now. Um, you know, you've probably seen, you know, us making a bit of news and so on here and there. Um, and that was when, you know, a lot of my, my friends, you know, came to me, hey, you know, Yonglin, I saw that uh, you're on a news, wow, you look at my famous, I'm very successful. Uh, I was on a grand business. You know, that was actually what a lot of people, drives a lot of people grand business, right? Uh, you know, the fame, the, the, the sort of limelight and so on, right? And I think, um, that was when, you know, I will always ask my friends, so what's the reason that you want to run a business, right? Uh, is it because you want to make a lot of money, right? And I think most, most people actually answer that, that, that itself. Um, and that is actually very alarming in a sense where, you know, because there are a lot of ways of making money. Um, and startup is probably one of the least effective way of meeting, making money. I'm not sure whether you, you, you guys know about the statistics, right? 90% of startup actually fail. And you probably gonna fail, right? You probably gonna lose your time and 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 money that you invested in, into the, the the business, and you have a very very good ninety percent chance of doing of losing all your money, right? If you want to make money, you would have a better chance, like way better chance, like um, being a property agent, uh, selling insurance, and so on, right? You have a way better. In fact, I have a friend who who is same age as me. It was my classmate in high school who dropped out of the school and is now a millionaire uh, in in cash millionaire in cash and, uh, you know, striving like literally Ferrari and he was in the property industry. So like you really have a better chance of making money if your sole purpose is to make money, right? And I think the reason why we have sort of go through the hurdle of like there are four years of my life uh, not making money, uh, 500 ringgit to 1.5k is the max I've made on a monthly basis. Um, and, and, you know, we have three to four times uh, almost going bankrupt. Uh, you know, got to somehow borrow some money from somewhere or something like, like that to, to, to go through it. Um, and then it's going to be, it's actually easier to give up, you know, during that kind of moment. Uh, imagine you only have 500 ringgit per month um, and then and then you sort of couldn't afford, you know, people are eating like mac and cheese, but you couldn't afford mac and cheese. You, you need to eat like nasi lemak, <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? So um, it's actually true. So if your sole purpose is to make money, you would have given up. And I would have given up too, right? I wouldn't be speaking in this uh, podcast today, actually. So I guess um, the one advice is basically know your why. Why are you doing things? So are you willing to sort of do whatever it takes to make this a successful venture? Or you're just in it for the money, right? If you're just in it for the money, do something that is more proven. Uh, you know, maybe open a boba tea shop or something. Um, that's sort of going to get you higher rate return and less risk as well, in a sense. What's next for Crave? I think Crave really wanted to like, I think Crave, I believe that, you know, Crave is really about, Crave is really not a company that has belonged to Yonglin, right? A Crave, I, I believe that Crave should be a company that's belonged to whole Malaysian. Because I, because I think we want to stand, we want to stand for, uh, you know, a place where um, Malaysian can support Malaysian businesses. That's where you can find all the food and grocery by local Malaysian, local sellers that could be your neighbor, that could be your, um, you know, your national auntie outside of the roadside and so on, right? And we want to stand for that. And I, and I think we want to actually allow, uh, we want to actually help more people to be able to discover local products and, and also showcase more local products to local Malaysians. And uh, I think to do that, we want to be able to make sure that 
uh, most Malaysians actually know that we exist and I'm very grateful that we have this opportunity to speak today. Um, so I think in the next four months, we wanted to make sure that try our best to make sure that Crave is a household name that uh, more people know about us. And in return, more people can know that hey, now they have an option. Instead of, because if you think about that, if you are already buying grocery, and in, you know, instead of buying some important product from the UK, you can buy similar product uh, that is equally good, if not better, from your local people. And I think the matter is that most people do not know that they have this option. And we want to allow more people to actually know that they have this option to support the local businesses. You have just listened to Yonglin's story on Foodie Canteen. This show is produced by me, your host, Castle Lim, and co-written by Sulin Chang. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the excellent team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening.